Thank you, Richie. Thank you, team. It's, uh, it's really great to have you guys leading us in such a powerful way um, this uh, Easter Sunday morning. Um, I'm going to say it again. He is risen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Christos Anesti. Yes, thank you very much. And I, I, I got the Norwegian one out this morning, but I can't remember what I was I'm sorry. I, I, yeah, I, my, my Norwegian is coming, but slowly. Um, uh, but good morning, everyone. Um, it's great to be sharing with you today. And um, this morning, I'm going to talk about victory. It seems like the sort of morning that we should talk about victory. You want to talk about victory with me? Yeah. Great. Excellent. Well, I've got some photos of victory. All right, so I'm going to put some photos of victory on the screen there, and, and you can tell me what you think this photo of victory is, is what kind of victory we're talking about here, and, and who it is, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, so the first one, does anyone know who that person might be? Is that, is that familiar to anyone at all? I, 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 Serena, no, it's not Serena Williams. Bernard Tonic, is that, is that what you got, Donnie? That's terrible. Yes, Mia? That's Ash Barty, yes. And, and what is she doing there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Australian Open 2022. She's the champion, Australian Open 2022, Wimbledon 2021, uh, French Open 2019. Um, and that's where it stops because now she's given it away. So I'm all sad. <sighs> anyway, let's move on. Um, next one. Uh, who are they? It's the World Cup. Yes. Which team is it? Australian cricket team. Yes. And the ladies won without losing a single match. They, they, they destroyed all of their opposition. They were very, very victorious, uh, particularly Alyssa Healy, who's from the Gold Coast, um, and she has a famous uncle, and she got 170 in the last match, and that was very, very good. Anyway, so, good. Next one. So, what's this one about? Scott Morrison. Well done, yes. And what's, that, what's happening here? What victory is he celebrating there? Yeah, so... Yeah, that was the last election, 2019. That's him with his family, because that's what you do when you win an election, right? You get your family up and you, know, you, you make people want to like you, all that kind of stuff. That's what we do. Anyway, so, uh, and maybe we'll see him soon doing the same thing, or maybe we'll see Albo doing the same thing. Anyway, let's move on to the next one. Do you know about that one? Who, who, who knows who that is and what victory? What victory are we celebrating here? This is, this is uh, it's George W., yeah, yeah, this is this is this is um, Iraq, the Iraq War. This is two months after it started. Uh, George Bush landed on an aircraft carrier and had the mission accomplished thing in the background, saying, "We did it, victory." There's a picture of victory right there, and of course, maybe didn't continue the way he expected it to after that point. Uh, so there's a different kind of picture of victory. All right, here's another picture of victory. Who's that? Who's that? They, no one knows who that is. No one knows. But there's this very, very famous picture of a guy dancing through the streets of Sydney uh, at the end of World War II in uh, 1945. Um, and he's just dancing because war has ended. And, uh, and no one knows who he is. No one knows his name, but he's, uh, he's the picture of victory of uh, end of the war. So that's cool. Another one. What's this one? That's what? It is the victory. This is the victory. The HMS victory. Yes, there's a picture of victory. Literally, the ship victory. And it was... Yes, yeah, you what I did there? It was... It was Nelson's flagship in the Battle of Trafalgar. You're all very good. Excellent. You very good historian-type people. So, yes, so this is the HMS victory 
It was the British, their flagship, whatever, very, very important. And it still exists today, though it kind of like, you can't really put it on the water because it will sink. But it's a museum ship. Uh, next one. Ah, oh, what's that one? No, it's not the Arc de Triomphe, but that's the most famous arc, so you, you get half points for that. Art of who? No, no, well, I... No, no, it's not that one, but that's another good one. No, it's not the Brandenburg Gate, but you, you're all... These are very good answers. They're very good. That's not... The Mona Lisa. Oh, my gosh. There's our youth leaders right there, everyone. This is the sort of quality people that we're going... Yes, Joe? It's a block of stone. Excellent. This is the Arch of Titus, sorry. And this is in, still exists today, in the Roman Forum in Rome. Um, and this is what was built by Domitian, because Titus died at that point, but that's fine, um, to commemorate the sacking of Jerusalem, the destroying of the temple, and the end of the Jewish rebellion in 71 AD. And if you can actually, you can actually go up to it and look at it, and we're going to zoom in. And that's actually got all these pictures on the side of it of, um, of the Jewish people being smashed and killed by the Romans and the Romans carrying off all the stuff out of the temple, if you know what I mean. So this is actually, this is before you had photo opportunities of you winning an election or uh, having a trophy or anything like that. If you're a Roman, you would conquer someone and then you'd build a great big edifice about it, you know, showing everyone, hey, look at me, look how powerful I am. And that's going to happen to you if you mess with the Romans. So, so, yeah, so that's another picture of victory from the ancient world. So, there's a whole bunch of pictures of victory, but uh, they're pictures of victory from the world. And I want to talk about a picture of victory this morning from the Bible. It's Resurrection Sunday. So, let's turn our Bibles to Luke 24 and have a look at the picture of victory we see there. And we're going to have two Bible readings, actually. First one's 24. And and the one is actually over to Colossians. But we'll start from Luke 24. And it goes like this, starting from verse, uh, verse 1, Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Now that's a cool picture of victory. You know, the empty tomb, the stone rolled away. Christ has risen. And that's what we celebrate today, Easter Sunday. This is the good news, the gospel, given on that very first Easter to these women who shared it to others, and they shared it to others, and they shared it to others, and eventually it's come down to you and me. Christ has risen. Jesus is Lord. But for me, the most amazing part of all of this is not just that Jesus is victorious and that he has risen and that he defeated sin and death, but it's also how he did these things, how he won the victory. He won the victory in the most amazing way. We're going to jump over to Colossians now, Colossians 2. And in this passage, uh, Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, and he's telling them about what Jesus has done. And we'll check it out here. So 
Colossians 2, starting from verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of us our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. And he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over them by the cross. So Paul starts here with the problem that every human has. Uh, when you were dead in your sins. No one has lived a good life in the whole planet. And many people have done good things. Many people have done incredible acts of selflessness. But all of us have sinned. And I don't think it would be too much of a stretch to declare that we all still sin in so many ways. Uh, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he set the standard of sin, you know, standard really high for us to follow. He said that anyone who looks upon a person lustfully sins. Jesus said anyone who is angry with someone else will face judgment. Jesus said that his followers should be perfect, just like the Heavenly Father is perfect. So I'm just wondering if anyone here can meet Jesus' criteria, or maybe not so much. No. So we all have a sin problem. We all aren't good enough. We're all guilty of wrongdoing. But there's good news here. You know, Colossians here says that God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of legal indebtedness. That's wonderful, right? Legal indebtedness. What does that mean, actually? Isn't that a strange phrase? Legal indebtedness. And uh, it's like times like this when we are disadvantaged because we all have English Bibles. And so many of us fine folk here in Australia only speak one language, Australian. And so we don't appreciate the, you know, the difficulties in, you know, when you take some phrases from a certain language and put it into another language. Because sometimes they don't fit the way they do in the original language. Here, uh, Paul is using a whole bunch of really technical words from the legal profession in Greek. You know what I mean? So his readers would know all about what he's talking about here, but they don't really match up in English all that well. Uh, so the Bible translators have done the best they could, and they call it legal indebtedness in the NIV. And uh, the King James calls it the handwriting of ordinances. Is that a good one? The handwriting of ordinances against us. Both are a bit clunky. But it means this, you know what I mean? By the way we live our lives, what we do, the choices we make, matter. And all the things that we have done wrong matter. And they need to be accounted for. Each person has incurred a debt of wrongdoing. Hence, legal indebtedness. Everyone has a handwriting of ordinances against them. This is the stuff we've done wrong. A couple of years ago, I received a phone call from the police. And they informed me that I had committed a crime. I had broken the law. And when I shared this story with all the youth kids, they thought I was a really awesome youth leader. But anyway, uh, so I was driving home one afternoon, and uh, I needed some fuel and some milk, uh, which happens. I don't know if that happens to you. It happens to me a fair bit. Uh, and uh, so I pulled into the servo. I put fuel in the car, uh, went to the shop. I grabbed the milk said hi to the person at the counter thing, you know what I mean? And then I tapped my card on the thingy thing, and then I grabbed my milk, and I went back to the car, and got in the car, and I drove off. 
And it turns out today, when I tap my card on the thing, um, I had paid for the milk, but I had not paid for my fuel. And uh, so I'm not sure you know, how that happened. I, maybe my mind was on other things. I'll make some excuse about something, but that's, that's what happened. And so this meant that I had a legal indebtedness against me. I had to go back to the servo, and they presented me with my handwriting of ordinances as a police report, a charge sheet, you know, like this. And it had all my details about my car and all that kind of stuff. And that's not the original, actually. I've, I lost the original, but I took it to youth one night because I thought it was cool. Anyway, so this is a, a whatever one. Uh, <clears throat> so, so what I did, uh, I went to them. I, they gave me this. I, I, I paid the amount on it and all that kind of stuff. And I, um, I cleared my name, and I walked away a free man, right? And, and I never forget to pay for fuel ever again. <laughs> now, the difference between me and my fuel heist and us and our sins is the level of debt we are in. You know what I mean? So I, I was able to clear my debt with the servo pretty easily. You know, it was like 60 bucks or something like that. But for the things that we have done, we have incurred a debt that we cannot pay. The cost is too great. Our charge sheet you know, can't be settled by us. But in this Bible passage, it shows how Jesus has solved the problem. He has cancelled the charge. He's taken it away by nailing it to the cross. All the things that I have done wrong have been cancelled. They've been taken away. The debt has been cleared and put on the cross. Sin now has no power over me. Death has no power over me. My charges have been nailed to the cross and that's where they are. If you remember from the crucifixion story, when Jesus was hung on the cross, the charges against him were nailed above his head. In John 19, it says the words here were written, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And we've got this thing there. And it says they're in, yeah, written in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. This is Jesus' police report. This is the reason why he was uh, crucified. The Romans were making a public spectacle of anyone who would set themselves up as king against them. And the might of Rome was making an example of Jesus. They are saying, if you try to set yourself up against us, we will kill you. Paul is saying that on Jesus' cross, it's not only his charge sheet that is nailed there, but the charge sheet of all of us who call him king. All who believe in Jesus can take their charge sheet, like this one, and... They can nail it to the cross and leave it there. And that's where it stays. And we can be free. Never have to pay that debt. It's a... Pretty cool, really. It's freeing. But that's not even the best bit. <laughs> the best bit comes next. Uh, the end of that passage that we were just reading there says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, them over, triumphing over them on the cross. As I said before, this is the coolest part that I find about the whole Easter story, is how Jesus defeated sin and death. He could have chosen to defeat sin and death uh, by simply you know, not dying. Uh, he could have made himself immune to pain. 
And he could have just sat there on the cross and laughing at all the Romans because he was God and he could do this. And then he could have burned them all up with fire because that's how he could have done it. He would have chosen to defeat sin and death by just not dying and being invincible. Uh, and that would be you know, what we're used to from Hollywood movies, right? The good guy comes along and then things are really bad, but then he beats up all the baddies and then he wins. That's usually how it goes. But that's not how Jesus sees victory. That's how the world sees victory. In, in our world, victory means beating the other guy. Uh, it's a zero-sum game. You know, for there to be winners, there are always losers. And in all the pictures that I put up there earlier uh, this morning of victory, it meant that there was a whole bunch of people who lost to enable these people to win. Uh, the Australian women's cricket team were undefeated. Every team lost to those guys. For them to be a winner, a whole bunch of people had to lose. So for Jesus to defeat death by killing a bunch of Romans, no, that's just creating more death. What Jesus does for his victory is that he loses. <laughs> he allows death to consume him. He allows death to enact all its full measure upon him. Before he was even put on the cross, he was tortured and disfigured. Then on the cross, he experienced the most cruel and humiliating death humanity had invented. And even after he died, you know, they stabbed him with a spear. This is the full power of death being released upon one man. But it wasn't only death that Jesus allows to consume him. All of our sins were nailed there together with his, on the cross with him there too. All the wrong that all of us has done was there with him. He took it all. And because of that, he was disconnected in relationship to the Father for a time. He had the weight of the sins of the world on him. And in the midst of all that evil, it would have been so easy for him just to you know, respond in hatred and anger, but still hanging there in agony with all that evil upon him, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Even at this point, sin does not become his master. Jesus does not sin. When Jesus was on the cross, it was his ultimate victory. This is the point where the evil powers and authorities of this world brought their full powers and full measure against Jesus. He allowed them to consume him and kill him. But all the way through, Jesus has not allowed them to be his master. Therefore, he mastered them. At Easter, the evil powers and authorities of this world lost their power. And not only that, but Jesus made a fool of them. He made a fool of death and evil by making a public spectacle of them on the cross. While the Romans were making a public spectacle of Jesus, the resurrection means that Jesus was making a public spectacle of sin, of the powers of this world, by taking the sin, the evil that holds us, and nailing it to the cross there with him. I find it so ironic that the Romans gave Jesus a crown, they bowed down to him in worship, and wrote the sign, you know, Jesus, the king of the Jews, uh, to mock him. But in reality, without their knowing, this was Jesus' coronation. Now, the, the world superpower of the day was abdicating the throne and crowning Jesus as king of the world. He was ascending the throne right under their noses. He was turning the most terrible defeat into the most incredible victory over sin and death. So I'd like to suggest that all those pictures of victory of those sports people and politicians and, and military people being victorious... Even though they look good, they weren't very good pictures of victory at all. They were just some people who beat some other people. 
Whoop-de-doo. But here's the ultimate picture of victory where everyone can be a winner. It's the cross. And in many ways, this is a crazy picture of victory because in Jesus' day, the cross was a symbol of Roman power, of oppression of the weak, of the death of innocence. It was an anti-God symbol of evil. Uh, It's a message saying, you mess with us and we'll kill you in the most most terrible way. It was like the Arch of Titus I showed you before, you know, a massive statement depicting the Romans obliterating the Jews. And yet, the picture of the cross is the one which was adopted by the church, where the true victory, the best kind of victory, is won through sacrifice. So, what does this mean for us today? Well, firstly, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, all of our charge sheets, all of our sins, can be nailed there with him. Now they have nothing more to say to those who belong to Jesus. Romans 8 says, you know, there's therefore no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. He's forgiven us all the sins and offenses that might have counted against us. So if you exercise faith in Jesus today, it's like you have died with him already and have come out from under them all and from all the condemnation that might have pulled you down and kept you oppressed by that. You can be free today from anything you've done and that's something wonderful for each of us. But secondly, I love the way that God just loves turning defeats into victories. It's like his go-to plan that he just does. He did it in Jesus' time, and he still does it now, every single day. And out of a room this big, I'm sure there's a heap of us going through things right now which look like defeat, things that look like loss, which I'm not sure there's any coming back from this kind of thing, whether they be things at work or things with relationships or family, whatever it might be. But in the midst of every storm, God is at work. He's transforming a situation to make a public spectacle of the forces of evil. Now, this doesn't mean, you know, we pray to God and then all of a sudden, bingo, everything's right. Um, Though God does work that way sometimes. It's often that he gives us the strength to endure and experience the grace of God through that situation. Jesus went through some terrible times on his way to victory. Uh, He still died on that Good Friday. He wasn't rescued from the cross. He was resurrected three days later. And for us, sometimes our hardship does end in a part of us dying. But God is about redemption and resurrection. So this morning, in light of this picture of victory, uh, we're going to share in a victory celebration together. We're going to share in communion and often in our context, you know, we, 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 we share in communion as a somber, you know, reflective, memorial type of event. But uh, it can be so much more than that. Uh, and the early church often talked of communion as being a love feast, if you know what I mean. It wasn't just a, a, a sad time. It was a, 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 an exciting time. It was a celebration about what God has done. The word Eucharist, which is sometimes used to talk about the Lord's Supper, is, means thanksgiving. This is thanksgiving. Thank you to God for what he has done. So this morning we're going to take the bread and the cup in an attitude of thanksgiving for the victory that God has has brought us. Um, So without any more ado, uh, please jump up and grab... Yes, no, you have to to literally jump, Trish. That's fine. Um, So grab a cup, grab a piece of thing, and then probably come back to your seat, and then we are going to take these... um, in attitude of victory and winning because we are all winners today in Jesus. So, yep, grab it and 
we can be somber and reflective if you want, but we want to be uh, celebratory as well. So you're ready to celebrate with me this morning. <laughs> Let's celebrate. Thank you, risen Jesus, for the victory of the cross brought with your body. Let's take the bread together. And then we say, thank you, risen Jesus, for the victory of the cross bought with your blood. Let's share in the cup together. Let us pray. Thank you, risen Jesus. Thank you that you bought the victory for us. Thank you that your way of victory is so different from the ways of this world. Thank you that your ways of victory are not about just trying to beat the other guy, but your ways are about defeating death and sin, the true enemy. So God, we just want to thank you so much for the victory that you've bought for each of us. Thank you for, for wiping the slate clean for each of us. Thank you for taking our sins and nailing on the cross there with you and taking them away from us so that we can walk in freedom and we can walk in new life with you. Thank you that you have the power over sin and death because you mastered them and you overcame them. And even though all their power was brought upon you, uh, you showed us how to win. So I just want to pray, God, for all of my friends here this morning that each of us might have found that new life in you and know that we can have a fresh start with you every day if we need to because you bring us new life. And thank you, God, for the victory that you want to bring in each of our situations, wherever they might be, uh, wherever there are situations in our lives where it looks like ultimate defeat. Thank you that you are working behind the scenes to bring great victory for us in ways we might not expect. So thank you so much for this morning, God. Thank you for your resurrection. And we're so grateful for the victory you enable us to walk in each day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the band's going to join us on the, uh, here. Uh, so if you're part of the band, you can come up. If you're not, maybe say we are. Um, and we're going to um, uh, sing a celebration song because this is a celebration time. Um, and uh, after that, we're going to have, uh, you know, share more in more celebratory morning teas. So please. Uh, celebrate.